And now, with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved, here is Dr. James Houck. Well, good afternoon, everybody, one and all. Welcome to Friday the 13th. Here we go, May 13th, 2022. All right, I, I trust that your day is going uh, swimmingly. It is going well for you. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I meet a lot of people who make a big deal out of Friday the 13th, and then there's others that are just like, yeah, it's just another day. And so forth, but uh, maybe you're the type of person who gets paid uh, on Fridays or every other Friday that you happen to get paid today. So that's a plus uh, right there. So again, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, helping you find uh, your courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. And uh, one of the things that I find uh, very exciting about talking about reclaiming authenticity is the fact that, you know, discovering our gifts, the things that already lie within us, you know, it's just a matter of having the courage to let's go find them and uh, see where they are, because we we all have been gifted and graced and so forth. Okay, so very excited to be with you here today, each and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and any other time in between. Because each and every week uh, during this time, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of our spirituality and our mental health, and all placed within the context of our relationships with ourselves, others, and God or the divine. I'm Dr. James Helk, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. That's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if you would like to call in and be part of the show, the number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break, about midway between uh, the hour. And uh, in case you can't spend a whole hour with me, uh, these broadcasts are podcasted, in case you want to go back and listen again, or you can even go back into the archives and listen to previous shows that you may have missed. And so uh, I just wanted to take this opportunity just to thank everybody for their support over the past, uh, coming up on two years now, and uh, would just like to say that you have the opportunity to continue your support by becoming a monthly subscriber. Now, just a little caveat here, uh, a monthly subscription is not required to access and listen uh, to my talk shows, but it is greatly appreciated. So again, you would just go on the website and choose uh, the banner on subscriptions and then choose an amount that you feel comfortable giving. And so thank you for that. 
And uh, before we get things underway today, I also wanted to invite you to tune into a special 100th episode. It's a broadcast coming up in three weeks on Friday, June the 10th, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, right here on bbsradio.com station one. And not only is this going to be my 100th episode, it will also mark the beginning of my third year broadcasting with uh, BBS Radio. And what I believe is going to make this broadcast extra special is that I would like you to pick the topic for me to discuss on the air that day. Anything you would like to hear or talk about related to the integration of mental health and spirituality, just drop me a few lines at bb uh, www.bbsradio. There we go. The dot com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. Okay. And uh, as we always have uh, new listeners to the program uh, at the beginning of these broadcasts, I always like to share with everyone uh, where I'm coming from in terms of what is reclaiming authenticity. Um, basically, uh, reclaiming authenticity comes from a deep-seated belief uh, in myself that all of us come into the world already equipped and graced with everything we need for this life in terms of our giftedness or let's say our skills, our talents, our strengths, our character traits, so on and so on. And how we live out our skills and talents and strengths and so forth is in and through various relationships, whether they be personal relationships or professional relationships. Because you see, it, it doesn't matter who we are or where we were born or into what family we were placed. Ours is a world that's just filled with relationships. And indeed, we are social beings who often spend our lives trying to make sense out of our world and different experiences by simply trying to find our place in the world. You know, where do I fit? Um, how can I use my, my giftedness, my, my skills, my talents, my strengths, my personality? Where can I shine? Where can I use my passions and so forth? And uh, as social beings, it's often within the context of relationships that we experience tremendous pain and suffering. And it's uh, very unfortunate that, um, you know, it's, it's in this particular context. And it could be just overt acts of, uh, let's say, betrayal or cruelty that somebody has inflicted against us, or we may have inflicted on others. Or to simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Many people bear the scars of physical, psychological, emotional, even spiritual woundedness. And yet, here's the irony in life. That how we often receive our deepest physical, emotional, psychological, and even spiritual wounds in relationships. And let's see, the tragedy is that we often go along in life. And perhaps due to some unpleasant experiences, we tend to hide our giftedness uh, or we push our passions and skills and our uniqueness way down inside of us so that others cannot see it. All because we were told that, well, you'll never amount to anything or that, you know, you'll never measure up, you know, to another person's standards or whatever other voice you heard telling you that there is nothing special to you. 
And yet, here's the irony. We can also discover our greatest healing and strength and peace and forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. So it all comes back to relationships. And uh, as I said, they could be personal. They could be professional. These relationships just might be within our own families or, or coworkers or friends. And yet, because we are in relationship with others, once we are transformed and once we find our healing and once we find our voice and purpose and so forth in life, and as we are you know, transforming and as we are being transformed, we can also transform others on one degree or another, you know, simply by our presence or grace and on our understanding, because we begin to see ourselves and others in the world differently. Okay, because, you know, since we are healing and we are being transformed and we see ourselves differently, we are going to not only see one another differently, but we're also going to treat one another differently. But first, the forgiveness, kindness and compassion really begins with how we treat ourselves, because to put it quite simply, when we are compassionate with ourselves, we then can be more compassionate with others. And when we are more forgiving with ourselves, we then can be more forgiving with others. And when we are able to live in gratitude with ourselves, then we can discover how this opens our hearts to see and live in gratitude with others. So all in all, transformation first and foremost begins with us, and yet it goes out from us. And this is what reclaiming authenticity is all about reclaiming that which has always been in you. Or as one of my favorite authors, Richard Rohr, puts it, your true self is who you are and always have been in God. The great surprise and irony is that you, or who you think you are, really has nothing to do with this original creation or its demise. It's sort of disempowering and utterly empowering at the same time, isn't it? And all you can do is nurture it. And that comes from Richard Rohr's book, The Immortal Diamond, The Search for Our True Self. Well, welcome to, as I said, Friday the 13th. Welcome to the broadcast. This particular show is entitled, Don't Shake That Family Tree Too Hard, because you never know what or who's going to fall out. Okay, seatbelts ready? Here we go. Well, how many of you have ever searched your family tree, right? Uh, we have all kinds of uh, .coms and apps out there. We have Ancestry.com. We have uh, FindMyPast.com, FamilySearch.com, GenealogyBank.com, and so forth. And there are simply many websites out there to assist us in finding out more about those who have come before us. Um, and even now we have DNA testing, you know, kind of like 23andMe, which shows us our regional backgrounds in terms of our genetic makeup. And all of these sites have been gaining popularity over the years. But you talk about irony, not everybody shares this enthusiasm. In fact, I've, I've met a few people who are content not knowing who's in their family line. I mean, they, they simply believe in leaving well enough alone. 
In fact, there was one woman who said to me, you know, be careful when you start shaking that family tree because you'll never know what's going to fall out. So, yes, I stole her line and used the title for this show. But at uh, any rate, still, um, family trees are fun, exciting, and they all have a sense of mystery. You know, maybe we started to do this when we were in school where you had to interview your parents or your grandparents. And maybe you could even talk to your great grandparents, uh, you know, and so forth. And just, you know, where were you born? What did you do for a living and so forth? And maybe they could fill in some gaps and some stories as to, you know, their grandparents and so forth. We kind of had an idea, you know, a context of, uh, you know, where we came from or who we came from. Okay, but um, they are a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, now with the apps that are out there, we can go a little bit deeper and uh, just kind of become more intrigued about exactly what's going on in that family line. And uh, yeah, let's be honest, you know, maybe some of us are, you know, secretly hoping to find a famous ancestor, you know, somebody who made a great contribution to society or who left their mark in the world in very profound ways that we can kind of brag on them and brag on ourselves and say, well, you know, I'm related to so-and-so and, you know, that, that makes me special too, you know, or, or whatever it might be. But, uh, you know, we can only go back so far. Maybe we can go back to, let's say, you know, early 1900s or the 1800s, 1700s, maybe the 1600s, maybe. And from there, the trail really starts to grow cold, so to speak, depending on who or what you can find. And yet, when you think about it, our genealogy goes back much, much further than where these genealogy sites can take us. And there are millions and millions of ancestors who have come before us. And all we have to do is look at our blood and realize that they're all in there. You know, it's not just DNA, but it's everybody who has come before us. And this is something that I love to share with the kids that I counsel when, you know, they're, they're wanting to know more about their family line or their genealogy or they have to do a family tree for school or something like that. Now, I don't encourage them to go, like, stab themselves, you know, with a, with a pin, you know, and prick their fingers and look at their blood. But they've all had skin knees or, you know, uh, maybe they've accidentally cut themselves or something and – you know, just reminding them that, you know, our, our ancestors are always close to us, whether they be recent or they go back several multiple, multiple, multiple generations and then some. And, you know, it's we, we can certainly appreciate this. All of us can, because there's also something inside of us, not just the blood, but there's also something inside of us that wants to know a little bit more information in terms of their context. You know, what were their stories? What were their circumstances? Not just how did they live, but also how did they struggle? How do they get along in, in their life? And what were some of like the, the local and national events that they you know, collectively struggled with? But let's say, just for the sake of argument, that we can trace our family trees back as far as we can. And we just so happen to run into an ancestor or two or three or whatever who were a little 
shady. Yeah, no, no pun intended. Okay. And we start digging into the circumstances and the times in which they lived. And, you know, we find that our ancestors may have been overwhelmed to the point that their resiliency was quickly exhausted. Or perhaps, you know, their resiliency was chipped away over time by relentless oppression. Or maybe we found, you know, and our ancestors, you know, had to do what they had to do. Not necessarily being proud of what they did, but they, again, they had to do what they had to do in order to survive or defend and raise their families or to make ends meet. Maybe our ancestors didn't always make the best decisions or even consider the impact of their decisions and, and, and how that impacted, you know, um, uh, you know, their relationships, especially those who have yet to be born. And then just so, you know, perhaps our ancestors never considered the additional physical or psychological or emotional or spiritual burdens that were placed on others because of how they benefited or maybe how they were burdened in life. Maybe our ancestors uh, abused drugs or alcohol, or maybe what they struggled with other addiction types because it was the only perceived available thing that they had to hold themselves together, which only made matters worse for themselves and their families. Or perhaps maybe we, we also find that our ancestors were unaware of the psychological and emotional roles they played in order to, let's say, unconsciously maintain, uh, you know, some sort of sanity through the daily chaos or codependency or confusion or even self-sabotaging behaviors typically found in families with addictions. Maybe as we go back through the family line, you know, we may find an ancestor or two or three or four who attempted or completed suicide because of their emotional pain and hopelessness that just started to become too great for them to see any other way through their problems. And perhaps our ancestors initiated a cycle of physical, emotional, or even sexual abuse out of their own experiences of being ridiculed or abused or beaten or shamed. You know, on, on the other hand, some of our ancestors may have been the abusers striking fear in the hearts of others through, let's say, extortion or greed or manipulation or violence and oppression. You know, as we go back through our family line, we may find ancestors who were guilty of pulling the triggers or exploding bombs that ended the lives of many. Maybe our ancestors, you know, they may have turned a blind eye to society's wounded and the, and the so-called insignificant people that were being oppressed or shunned or tortured and killed as their hands held the shovels that opened and closed the earth for mass graves. And maybe, just maybe, as we start shaking that tree, we find that our ancestors went along with family and community atrocities in order to get along with those in power. And maybe our ancestors reflected a silence indifferent, you know, indifference in the face of atrocities and reaped or even raped the benefits from systems of oppression and so forth. Well, if there's one lesson that 
anybody, everyone who searches a family tree learns. It's that nobody's family line is spotless. Now, that, that's not to label people as good or bad or positive or negative. Yeah, people are who they are. People were who they were. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read genealogies of other people, but uh, if you never have, I want to encourage you to read at least one other person's genealogy, because there's one genealogy out there that has always fascinated me, and that's the genealogy of Jesus. And the reason why I'm so fascinated by this genealogy is because when I read this account, which is right there in the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel, I'm truly amazed at why would Matthew even include this geology in, or genealogy in the first place? You know, because when you, you go down and, and you understand the backstory and you understand the people who are in Jesus' genealogy, the thing reads like an R-rated version of who's who. I mean, you, you go and you trace the, the, the people who are listed, and you go back through the Old Testament, and you find their stories and so forth. And, I mean, there were people who were guilty of committing all kinds of evil acts. You know, some were guilty of rape and, or murder. Some were guilty of lying and cheating and stealing and adultery. And, and there were some who were also very kind and loving and righteous. But, you know, why did Matthew find it necessary to include this genealogy in his good news? Well, there are certainly various interpretations regarding the reason and purpose behind Matthew beginning his gospel with this family tree. You know, I've heard arguments that it was, well, to establish the truth that Jesus came through the kingly line of David. And others have argued it was to fulfill what the prophets had spoken about Jesus, and still there's others who would say that they simply just don't know. Well, I want to propose another meaning and purpose of this genealogy, which brings us right into integrating spirituality and our mental health. And that's in looking at the genealogy of Jesus— and, and looking at our own genealogy and trying to make sense of why in the world do we have the kind of people that we have in our genealogy and so forth, that in spite of the individuals that were in the family tree of Jesus, you know, it didn't stop Jesus from coming into the world. And in spite of the individuals that were in our family tree, it didn't stop us from coming into the world. And more importantly, it didn't stop the grace of God. I mean, the Spirit of God continued despite human interactions down through the generations. And when we understand our own genealogy and we go back through our own history, we can also discover that the grace of God has never stopped, that the grace of God can never be thwarted, even in the lives of those who have yet to be born. So, in other words, those who will follow us, however far the genealogy goes out from us. It could be for another thousand, two thousand years, we don't know. But the grace of God will always be there. Life always finds a way. 
And you see, all of us are part of the lineages that carry stories. And this is the gem uh, in, in the importance of finding our genealogy and tracing out our genealogy and even shaking the tree to see who and what's going to come falling out. And this is something that I always emphasize with people I counsel who are trying to get out from under the family stories that have been keeping them emotionally and psychologically, even spiritually tied to generational woundedness. But how is this done? Well, actually, it all begins with us and how we tell our stories as well as how we see ourselves as ones who are equipped to heal, not just ourselves, but also our families. We don't achieve this by manipulating our stories or embellishing them, but rather starting from a a healed and healthier place within ourselves. In other words, what we send out will be returned to us. And this is the part that I really love to share with kids because I get uh, kids or teenagers in a counseling session with me and, you know, they're just so fed up or tired or they're overwhelmed or overcome or, or just sickened in their stomachs for always being blamed for, well, if it wasn't for you, the family wouldn't be in this predicament. Or, you know, if you would be a better kid, then... Yeah. And one of the things I just I start off with kids, I, you know, I say right to them, I go, look, we're going to talk about whatever is the issue. But I want you to know that you're not part of the problem. You're part of the solution. And that, that kind of, you know, gets them right there. They don't know what to do with that. You know, they've, they've never been considered you know, as, as a solution to the family problem. They've always been the one who's been scapegoated or, or whatever. And, you know, sooner or later when I'm talking with kids, and, and for those of you who have been listening to me for some time, you've heard this story before, that, um, you know, as the kids share their stories or the teenagers share their stories and just exactly what's going on and, and how bad is it or what would you like to do better or, you know, things like that, they realize that the issue or the problem didn't start with them you know, because it goes back maybe several generations. And yet they have this underlying resentment then when they have this realization, you know, and they, they usually say to me, well, then why do I have to be here with you if it didn't start with me? And again, I, I tell them, I go, well, that's because you're the strongest one in the family to be able to heal, the, you know, your family's pain. Because obviously, if it was coming down through the generations, the family wasn't strong enough to stop it. You know, whatever uh, intergenerational traumatic patterns or perceptions or assumptions were coming down. It's, you know, for, as I just rattled off about maybe five, ten minutes ago, just different aspects of, of uh, you know, how our ancestors lived their lives or what they had done and so forth. And, um, you know, maybe they didn't know any better. Maybe they couldn't do anything to stop it, you know, because they weren't the strongest ones. But I always try to encourage the kids that, and the teenagers, that you are the strongest ones. And, uh, and not to heap additional burden on them 
but you know how they can heal their families by first healing themselves and realizing you know no you're not the problem you're the solution but then you know going back and you know looking at their genealogy together and you know simply incorporating the stories as far back as they can go the stories of their ancestors and understanding that yeah maybe your ancestors had to do things that they weren't proud of but you can still heal them by that understanding by getting rid of your own bitterness or anger or resentment or unforgiveness towards them and this takes time this is certainly a process this is not something like it's a one and done thing and like all right okay you're all good go live your life you know it's going to take a while because these generational and intergenerational uh, traumatic experiences have developed over time it's just that now you know you have one in the present generation who can do something about it so that's always exciting and uh, we begin by you know i just listen to how the you know the, either the child or the teenager tells those stories and i'll say more about that you know in the second half of the show so um again you know certainly you know what we send out will be returned to us or as i say to the kids you know we live in an echo it's the same thing and so if we want to heal relationships are we sending out healing grace are we sending out living in better relationships with ourselves and others and god or the divine and as we are you know sending out healthier things or more loving loving kindness and so forth that will certainly be returned to us in one form or another so if you would like to call in um, and discuss this in a little bit more detail you know and and just share what's on your heart regarding this or maybe you have a, a nice story about your own uh, genealogy the number to call in is 888 Six two seven six zero zero eight. That's eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Halk. Be back with you in one minute. Welcome back. I am Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I just want to share a little bit about next week's show, just kind of give you a heads up regarding that. It's entitled, Which Way is Up? The Law of Correspondence. 
Now, the law of correspondence may be something that you've heard before and not quite sure, like what is that or anything. But basically, the law of correspondence states that what happens around us is a direct reflection of what is happening within us. In other words, your internal sense of who you are determines your external environment. In fact, how you're feeling is also what you're manifesting. Or another way to put it is that this law states that patterns repeat throughout the universe. And on a personal level, our reality is a mirror of what's happening inside of us at the moment. Or think of it this way, as above, so below, as within, so without. Now, therefore, we're going to be taking a look at the uh, 12 universal laws starting next week with which way is up, the law of correspondence. And uh, I also want to invite you to tune in to a special 100th episode broadcast uh, coming up in three weeks, as I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast today, uh, on Friday, June 10th, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, right here on bbsradio.com station one. And not only is this going to be my 100th episode, it will also mark the beginning of my third year broadcasting with BBS Radio. And what will make this broadcast extra special is that I would like you to pick the topic for me to discuss on the air that day. Anything you want to hear or talk about related to the integration of mental health and spirituality, just drop me a few lines at www dot bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. Well, earlier in the show, I was talking about uh, how we all, I believe, that we all want to connect with our ancestors as well as to see how they connect with us. But apart from knowing who's in our family tree, I think we also want to know more about the context in which our ancestors lived. In fact, all of us are part of lineages that carry those stories that are placed within a greater context. And this is something that I said, you know, right before the break that I emphasize with people I counsel who are are very much struggling to get out from under the family stories that keep them emotionally and psychologically tied to generational and intergenerational woundedness. But again, how is this done? Because it sounds so easy, but yet there's a process to this. Actually, it all begins with, you know, how we tell our stories, as how we see ourselves as ones who are equipped not just to heal ourselves, but also can we heal our families? And And I think we can. We don't achieve this healing by manipulating our stories or embellishing them or just making stuff up or filling in gaps or whatever, but rather starting from a healed and a healthier place within ourselves. Again, what we send out will be returned to us. And maybe you were like me in school that you learned how to write a story. You know, and you have to capture the what, when, where, why, and how. Or who was or is the storyteller in the family. 
you know, in my family, it was me. And, uh, yeah, both my wife and I tell stories and so forth. But whenever our kids were smaller, instead of reading a story to them, I would tell them a story which their minds would connect to and, and they would get all wound up and wouldn't be able to go to sleep afterwards. And for some reason, I would get into trouble. Like it was my fault. But anyway, uh, but think about it. You know, when you listen to or read a story, what captures your attention? Is it the mental images that are formed in your mind? Is it the deeper lessons or the morals that are found in the storyline itself? Or perhaps it was the way in which the story was told that created an excitement or an enthusiasm. And maybe this is why, you know, the Audible app is so popular today. You know, there, there's something so fascinating about hearing a story that's being read to us. And, you know, um, you know, this was the whole premise behind the movie The Reader. Um, you know, first it was a book and then later a movie, but, um, the, you know, the reader was a story set in post World War II Germany as the country attempts to rebuild itself. And if you've never seen this movie, I just highly recommend it. You know, this is something I'm sure it's on Amazon, you know, yeah, Amazon prime or Netflix even. And, uh, as the story goes, this is where teenager Michael Berg meets Hannah Schmitz. And she was a bus conductor and a much older woman than he was. And uh, the relationship is is very passionate, to say the least. You know, just kind of evolved over, you know, a short amount of time. But also what makes their relationship memorable is that, you know, Hannah Schmitz would often ask Michael to read to her. And he had no idea that she couldn't read. And this goes on for some time. She just said, well, you know, tell me a story. Read this to me and so forth. And she just enjoyed, you know, hearing the story and she got the mental uh, images in her mind. But she didn't know how to read. But again, she was, you know, her pride wouldn't let her tell Michael that. And, uh, you know, uh, one day um, Hannah abruptly moves away without informing Michael. And, of course, you know, puppy love, he's confused and heartbroken. Yet years later, while studying law at Heidelberg University, Michael is appalled to discover that Hannah is on trial for a heinous Nazi war crime. So if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, I won't give away the ending, but I in, in just invite you to enjoy this story. Because um, picking up on another article, I think it was an article that was uh, dated in April 2020, uh, NPR did a story entitled, How Stories Connect and Persuade Us, Unleashing the Brain Power of Narrative. And according to the article, with the benefit of MRI scans and many different areas of the brain, you know, were just shown to light up when somebody is listening to a story or a narrative. And not just the areas of the brain that are responsible for language processing, but also other neurological circuits, so to speak, also lit up. I mean, for instance... During more emotional sections of a story, one study found that the neurons responsible for processing emotions arising from sounds, well, they were activated. So as you hear a story unfold, your brainwaves actually start to synchronize, you know, with those of the storyteller. 
and uh, uh, Dr. Yuri Hansen, uh, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Princeton, he found that as one person told a story and the other person listened, they found that the greater the listener's comprehension, the more closely the brainwave patterns mirrored those of the storyteller. The brain activity in two people were almost identical. So in other words, stories stick with us often because of the metaphors people use to tell their stories. And storytelling also helps with learning because stories are easy to remember. Uh, there was an organizational psychologist, or there is an organizational psychologist, Peg Neuhauser, uh, found uh, that learning, which stems from a well-told story, is remembered more accurately and for far longer than learning simply derived from facts and figures. <clears throat> and psychologist Jerome Bruner, uh, his research suggested that facts are 20 times more likely to be remembered if they're part of a story. And I can certainly attest to this because I can remember the many stories my history teacher told us back in eighth grade. You know, when, whether he was talking about the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, he would always place us right in the storylines as if we were there. And it was just, for me, a lover of history, it was just fascinating. So let's bring all this uh, knowledge of storytelling and mental images right into the world of mental health. And um, storytelling is a powerful means of helping people find the healing and peace they are desperately searching for. Because it places their experiences within a context. It's how people find meaning. It's how people make sense uh, of what they've been through or are going through presently. Because when you think about it, everyone I counsel has a story to tell. In fact, every person's life is a story worth telling. And every story worth telling is a story worth listening to. And I've listened to many stories told in sadness and pain and listening to the metaphors and the images and the analogies. I've listened to stories told in heartbreak and anger. And I've also listened to many stories told in joy and hope and peace and forgiveness. And one of the more interesting aspects I have found is that when people tell their story from a place of anger they typically forget all the other good things that have occurred in their life. It's almost as if anger produces a form of amnesia, or at least selective amnesia. I mean, all the good and wonderful experiences have been forgotten. It's just ironic. It's just, you know, as if they've been erased. You know, almost as if past emotional or psychological, physical, and even spiritual woundedness is all that can be remembered in the heat of a moment. Because you see, when we get used to telling a story a certain way, we do tend to forget all the other things that came before. It's almost as if it is conveniently erased for the time being. But as we tell our stories from a healthier place, as we are healing, as we gain understanding, as we forgive, this, is also, you know, this also allows others to connect to the healthier places within themselves. But what allows us to make this shift 
not just in telling our stories differently, but also this this shift of, you know, how people can identify with our stories and we can identify with theirs. Well, author Marianne Williamson states that we can actually tell how much we have healed from the past because we have forgotten the pain in the memory. That's kind of ironic. You know, as we tell our stories from a place of wholeness, we forget the pain when the stories are told from that place of wholeness. And yet when we tell our stories from a place of anger, we tend to forget all the good. I'm going to say that again, okay? That whenever we tell our stories from a place of wholeness, we forget about the pain when the stories are told from that place of wholeness. And yet when we tell our stories from a place of anger or pain, we tend to forget all the good. I mean, think about that. Sit with that this weekend and just listen to how you tell your stories. You see, everybody has their authentic voice. And where there's a voice, there is sound. And of course, where there is sound, there's vibration. And this is where healing occurs. We change the voice, we change the vibration, and ultimately, we change the energy. You know, as a uh, counseling educator and clinician and a, a pastoral professional, I really struggle um, sometimes with uh, people's beliefs that when it comes to really dealing with their physical, emotional, and spiritual problems, they consider themselves without a voice. They consider themselves powerless. They sometimes throw up their hands and say, well, there's nothing I can do that's in the past. What can I do? You know, perhaps this is a result of never feeling valued or never being allowed to use their voice or never even knowing that they do have a voice. And admittedly, many people are unable to perceive their insights and strengths as if they can see themselves capable of healing, let alone achieving anything meaningful in their lives. And, I mean, let's be honest, you know, most of the time are we content to live for brief moments of joys and celebrations marked off by, let's say, the milestones of baptisms and marriages and birthdays and graduations, promotions and retirements and so forth. And, you know, when it comes to wrestling with life's questions, Many people are often overwhelmed, not only by the concept that the answers they seek often lie within themselves, but also the belief that inner freedom, peace, joy, and unconditional love in their minds are all too good to be true, you know, that those things belong to somebody else. But the human voice has power because it carries with it the energy of its vibration. And this is perhaps why, you know, people who deny the truth can't tolerate those who mention the truth or at least, you know, talk about it from a different perspective. 
well, Australian-born uh, physician, psychotherapist, and pioneer of individual psychology, uh, one of my favorite psychologists, Alfred Adler. Uh, he believed he actually he lived in the uh, the turn of the century, back you know late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, he believed that stories not only provided uh, a form or a scaffolding to our earliest memories, but also these stories became the blueprint for how we live our lives in relation to others. I mean, for example, part of healing from our past not only involves telling our stories, but also involves reclaiming our empowerment to rewrite our stories that are now life-empowering and affirming. We don't achieve this empowerment from an embellished, delusional view that nicely ties things up in a, in, in a bow, that all these stories fall in the line and it's wonderful and we get goosebumps and all that stuff. Now, I mean, instead, our stories are now told from a healthier perspective, a place from one's healing. Now, now granted, we may not be able to recall every experience, but for those moments that stand out to us, they, they serve as our unconscious logic about how we see ourselves and, and how do we see ourselves in relationship with others and our motivation for our behavior, even today. I mean, the first thing we do is listen to how a story is told. Yeah, facts and figures and names and places are important, but what's even more significant is how we tell our stories and how others tell their stories. You know, I do a lot of counseling with people who are stuck in intergenerational trauma in one degree or another. And I, I've noticed that when people um, have not been able to transform the negative energy around tragic events, their stories are told the same every time, each time, always and always and always. And as a boy, I remember listening to the same family stories at picnics and holidays and other family gatherings. I've heard these accounts so often that by the time I was a teenager, I could recite them word for word. Yeah, maybe you could do the same too. But now, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I also understand that not only did these details not change, but also the storyteller's interpretation and attitudes remained the same. In fact, there was always an underlying tone, if you listened for it, an underlying tone of helplessness, bitterness, sadness, and resentment that drove how the story was told. And ironically, it was almost as if the story was not being told correctly if these negative emotions were absent. And, and this can often lead people to becoming codependent in the family, you know, because, you know, plainly put, codependency is typically seen in an unhealthy relationship whereby one person supports or enables uh, another person's, let's say, addiction or poor mental health or immaturity or irresponsibility, uh, insecurity or underachievement, just to name a few. And uh, perhaps the most common theme in codependency is this excessive reliance on others for one's approval and a sense of identity. 
I mean, seeing the previous hurts and pain, etc., in another, and understanding why a person, you know, is the way they are, uh, seeing and understanding their history of events and the circumstances that may have shaped them and may have filled them with fear and pain and bitterness can move us to forgive them more easily and help them begin their process of telling their stories differently. I mean, even when an opportunity to forgive and reconcile with one who has caused us great pain and suffering and vice versa, whenever that is present, uh, because bitterness has so entangled the soul, it is often impossible to let go of the pain. In fact, we might even believe that to let go of the bitterness is a sign of weakness. But you know, all in all, sometimes both the victim, the survivor, and the offenders cannot envision taking hold of something better. It's just too vulnerable a place for them to go. And although each person walks his or her own path in this life, embracing forgiveness and healing and grace and love occurs as each person is ready. And no one can do this for another. You know, the door of healing can be shown, but one has to turn the key and, and walk through. And most of the time, there is a strong connection between this perception of fear of change and perceived powerlessness and a lifetime of struggling with self-loathing and low-to-no self-esteem. You know, through various hurtful experiences, people have internalized society's definition that they're dirty, worthless, they have no voice, they're, in, they're dispensable, they're no good, they're backward, will amount to nothing, and so on and so on and so on. And although it's difficult to say when the people, when our ancestors started to internalize such messages, it's often perhaps easier to pinpoint from whom these messages came, you know, Maybe they were heard, you know, they heard such things from parents or teachers or friends or perhaps the messages we were even reinforced by society. And yet, when healing occurs within the greater context of generations, people tell their stories much differently from a healthier, more holistic perspective. The reason why we can tell our stories differently is because much of the healing involves becoming aware of the former negative perceptions and the, and the former negative self-talk that no longer serves us. In other words, we recognize how these cognitive schemas have been draining our energy or distorting our perceptions and diminishing our potential for healthier relationships. In fact, when we replace these with more transformative and life-giving perspectives, that starburst of energy heals all generations across time and space. Well, you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. 
And I am your host, Dr. James Houck. Again, I invite you to tune in to next week, this time, 3 o'clock um, Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, right here on bbsradio.com, Station 1, uh, for another hour. And again, thank you for being, you know, and spending this hour with me. So I invite you to continue to look at your genealogy. Continue to understand who has come before you and who will come after you and what stories they will share. Take care. God bless. For an answer or just to leave a thousand comments or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.